Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of This Little Library. Sorry again for this episode being a day late. Yesterday I was at a crazy concert and I got to see Jack Black. So Jack Black unfortunately was a little bit more important than this podcast. However, I will bring it to you guys today. So thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is going to be a reading of the first chapter of Hidden in Glass. So chapter one, if you missed the prologue last week, just go ahead and watch that previous episode. That'll give you the prologue for the book. And without further ado, here is Hidden in Glass, Chapter 1. The Strange Man, Chapter 1. Rain pattered like rattling drums against the roof of a small car, and a little boy with pale skin and rosy cheeks had his forehead stuck to the glass of the backseat window. He looked gloomily out onto the bleak landscape of Northern Ireland. Rain caused the road to turn to mud, filling it with potholes, and every time the car went down into one, the boy would bump into the window. Boredom finally consumed him, and he rolled down the window, letting rain seep all over the leather seats of the vehicle. A girl with strawberry blonde hair and braided pigtails hit him hard on the arm as he stuck his hand out into the rain, soaking his sleeve. Roll the window back up. You're getting me soaked. Slowly, the boy obeyed, and as the green marshes and tall trees passed, the boy eventually resorted to staring at his shoe, where an interesting mark was scuffed into the top. The girl began to text as she straightened out her shirt, and the little boy yawned, asking her with a British accent, Letty, do you think living here will be nice? One sec, she replied with the same mimicking accent. She snapped her phone closed and looked back to her brother. Sorry, Margaret just told me that Justin broke up with Lindsay. He's such a jerk. The boy sighed, and Letty laughed. And yes, I do think that it will be wonderful to live with Mr. O'Brien. He sounds like a nice man. How are we related to him again? Oh, I don't remember. He's like mother's brother's brother-in-law, I suspect. Letty flipped open her phone again and rapidly text. The boy sighed, which makes us not related. Do lighten up, Brendan. If you're going to be a rotten sack of potatoes the whole time, I'm leaving you on the side of the road. We're going to be here for the rest of our lives, so you might as well get used to it. Mom and dad are gone, and they're not coming back. Be a grown-up and take it. Brendan slept his forehead against the window again, looking at the ruins of abandoned houses, and they went into another pothole. Looking ahead, he saw a tunnel approaching inside. The sky was a suffocating gray as it pressed down, as the thick, foggy mist that surrounded everything else. It wasn't the sort of day to try and think happy thoughts when everything was snowballing into a miserable disaster. He and his sister had just endured two hours on a plane from London to Derry, Ireland, and were now traveling in car southeast to a residence that their family friend, Mr. Bow, said was in a very secluded part of Northern Ireland. They had been in the car for a while, and Brendan felt that he just wanted to go home. He wiped his eyes, trying to get rid of his tears, and he wondered if his sister was as disappointed and as heartbroken as he was. She said that he should grow up, but he was only 12. He didn't want to grow up. He didn't want his parents to be gone, and most of all, he didn't want to go live with this Mr. O'Brien character. They had been sitting in the car for almost two hours, and Brendan's legs were beginning to ache. They were told that Mr. O'Brien was a wealthy Irishman who didn't have any children and didn't plan on it, even though he was so young. Mr. Bow had said that his mansion was so huge with so many rooms that you could get lost and never find your way out. No one lived near him for miles, which was fine, but that also meant that there were no other children to play with for the rest of the summer. The car entered the tunnel and Brendan shuddered. He didn't like the dark. He never had and never would. The only thing that he could see in the black hole was the light from his sister's cell phone, which wasn't very bright. Letty, I don't like it. It's okay, Brendan. Do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? A kid in my class told me that if you see a light at the end of the tunnel, you're supposed to run because it's a train coming to splatter your brains all over the road. Letty crossed her arms and they emerged from the tunnel. Nick said that to you, didn't he? 
Brendan nodded slowly. I told you not to listen to him. That horrible boy gets more demerits in a day than anyone normal can get in a year. He's a brat, and I don't want you to talk to him ever again, all right? I don't try to talk to him. He just comes up and talks to me. That's all. Brendan's breath fogged up the glass, and he drew a smiley face in it. I don't like him either, you know. Letty sighed and angrily hit the side of her phone. Rats. No service. Mr. Bow, is there a cell phone tower near here? Mr. Bow was a broad, fat man with a thick mustache. Brendan had nicknamed him Mr. Cheese because every time he went out into the sun, he sweat like a slice of cheese left outside for too long. His bald head was covered by a bowler hat, and his plain old suit was very annoying. I don't believe so, my dear. You'll just have to use Stanley's landline. But you can't use a landline to text. Letty looked frustrated, and Mr. Bow laughed. Sacrifice is a virtue, child. Letty muttered. I thought it was patience. The rain was coming down now harder than ever before, and hailstones were starting to patter rhythmically against the roof of the car, causing Brendan to cover his ears. Loud noises annoyed him. He had stayed out of the conversations that Mr. Bow and Letty had shared with each other, and he figured that Stanley was Mr. O'Brien's first name. Stanley O'Brien. What a boring name. More abandoned stone houses darted by on the road, but soon they were in a thick group of trees. The forest glowed an eerie green, and the trees were packed so thickly together that you could hardly see beyond the first few rows. The leaves blocked the hail, but the rain still lightly pattered down. When Brendan rolled down the window, his sister didn't yell at him, and he swore he heard an unfamiliar bird call in the distance. Everything here was so alien, so foreign. He had come from a suburb, a people-crowded place where trees didn't grow anywhere except in planters. The forest seemed to go on forever, and Brendan was starting to doze off as the forest finally broke, and they emerged onto an enormous property in a clearing. A great gravel driveway led through a courtyard and a garden with carved topiaries, colorful flowers, and a bubbling fountain with pennies glimmering at the bottom. A few koi swam in it, and when Mr. Bow parked the car, Brendan and Letty slowly stumbled up the stairs to the front door. It was big, open, and was guarded by a huge gargoyle knocker. So Brendan and Letty stood for a while, staring at the new, unknown world before them. A boom and a crackle resounded from behind the children and echoed loud enough to scare them inside. When they regained themselves and realized that it was only lightning, they found themselves in a grand hall with marbled floors and a majestic staircase that split off above them into the east and west wing of the house. There were busts adorning the walls in every room, glaring at the two with cold stone eyes. Footsteps could be heard coming from every part of the house, but they came most loudly from the stairs above them on the left-hand side. Soon, the two saw a man with hair much redder than Letty's coming quickly down the stairs, tying a hot magenta bow tie as he went. The bright colors of his very mismatched vest almost made Brennan's eyes hurt. Half of it was a blue and gold paisley and the other a pink and orange pinstripe, something that no one, Brendan thought, should ever wear in public. Mr. Bow had been right when he said that Mr. O'Brien was young. He looked not even over thirty. When he saw the two rain-soaked children standing in the doorway, his face shifted into a look of frustration, his thick Irish accent ringing through the hall. "'Great Scott, Miss Mirandy, who, in the name of the East Wind, let these ragamuffins into my house?' Miss Mirandy, a very young, beautiful woman dressed in maid's clothes, came running down the opposite stairs. She sounded American. "'Sir, I do believe those are the children you offered to take care of?' "'I—' Mr. O'Brien stopped trying to shoo the children out of his house. "'Oh, I see.' Mr. O'Brien began inspecting every part of the children, lifting their arms and even looking closely at Letty's pigtails. Brendan giggled at his oddness, and after he was done looking the two over, he smiled a quirky, bright smile that made Brendan want to laugh out loud. So, he said, placing his hands on his hips, you're Colette, he pointed to Brendan, who was trying incredibly hard to contain his laughter. And you're Brendan, yes? He smiled as he pointed to Letty. 
Letty crossed her arms and Brendan laughed. No, I'm Brendan and she's Letty. Oh, Mr. O'Brien smiled again. I'm sorry I made the mistake. Is Letty a nickname for you, my dear? Yes, sir, it is. Letty still seemed a little shy of Mr. O'Brien. You don't have to call me that if you don't want to. Most adults don't. Mr. O'Brien smiled a sly, magical smile at the comment. My dear, if this isn't a matter of adults and children, you will find that out very fast. This house is the least grown-up place you will ever be. I beg your pardon, sir. Miss Mirandy crossed her arms and sighed. I'm afraid I have to disagree. I disagree, disagree. Mr. O'Brien laughed, a laugh that seemed to light up the whole room and make everything brighter. You're quite wonderful at that, aren't you, Miss Mirandy? Miss Mirandy huffed back up the stairs and Mr. O'Brien smiled his mysterious smile again. You'll find that Miss M is the most stubborn of the maids here, but she's also one of the finest. She will be both your governess and your tutor while you stay here and once the summer ends. Speaking of which, Mr. O'Brien, Letty actually spoke, which surprised both Brendan and Mr. O'Brien. Where will we be staying? Which rooms do you want us to have? Oh, Mr. O'Brien stepped over to a bookshelf, pulling two rolled-up pieces of parchment off the shelves, handing one to each of the two children. You may search the entire house for your rooms. The maps are on those pieces of paper. There are, however, two rooms that are off-limits. The first is my study, which is just down the hall to the left. You are not to go in there unless I tell you that you are allowed. The other room is the one in the far west wing at the end of the hall. It remains unlocked, but the door is closed. Never open that door. Understood? Yes, sir. Letty grinned. Brendan thought that she was always such a suck-up. You know, that's just going to make Brendan want to explore that place even more now. Mr. O'Brien laughed. Well, you two better be running along now. Your rooms are waiting. Brendan darted up the stairs and rushed to the right-hand staircase, climbing to the west wing. He searched every single room, finding a small study, a library, a bathroom large enough for three people, and finally, a bedroom. On the bed was wrapped a present labeled to Letty. Brendan rolled his eyes and stepped out of the bedroom, looking toward the closed door that Mr. O'Brien had mentioned. Everything about that door seemed alien to the rest of the house. All the other doors were made with chestnut or oak wood. This one was as black as pitch. All the others had brass handles. This one had a handle made with silver. Brennan felt his heart start to pound, and he found himself thinking about what would happen if he opened that door and how much trouble he would be in if Mr. O'Brien found out that he was in there. There was something attractive about the door, as if something behind it were calling his name. Brendan could almost hear the whisper, Brendan, come here. Quickly, Brendan shook his head, darting back to the foyer, where he found Letty darting down the opposite stairs at the same time. The two children said as they passed each other, I found your... They both laughed, realizing they had found each other's rooms. Soon, Brendan was darting up the opposite stairs where he found another bathroom, a balcony overlooking a garden, a music room with a grand piano in it, a storage room, and finally his bedroom. It was large, containing a four-poster bed with turquoise sheets and a window overlooking the same garden that his balcony did. On his bed was a large box wrapped in silver paper and a smaller box on top. Quickly and greedily, as most children are, he excitedly opened the big box first. Inside, he found some adventure books about pirates, cowboys, and magicians, just the kind he liked. A pocket knife and a flashlight. On it was a note that read, For those days that you just feel like exploring. He laughed and smiled at his new gifts from Mr. O'Brien. The small box caught his attention, however. As he slowly pulled the string off, he realized it was no ordinary box. The string shimmered in a way that made him not want to open it. When he slid the lid off, however, he discovered that inside was a rusty key and a note. A note folded in a way that only he and his father knew. Quickly, Brendan unfolded the note. Here's the key. When help comes, don't hesitate to give this key to anyone who says that they know Mr. O'Brien. Don't talk to strangers. Don't trust anyone that you feel weird about. I love you. Be nice to your sister. Papa.
Brennan folded the note carefully and shoved it secretly into a drawer in his dresser with the key. Quietly, he grabbed a book that looked good and rushed downstairs to find Miss Mirandi tapping her foot angrily and impatiently. Dinner's on the table. Mr. O'Brien is waiting. Brendan nodded and looked over to the front door, seeing that Mr. Bow had brought in their luggage. When he entered the dining room, he looked around in awe. Food of every kind was strewn across the large oak table, and a huge window looked out upon the front of the house, the courtyard, and the place where Mr. Bow's car was parked. Mr. O'Brien was sitting at the head of the table, slowly and regally sipping a glass of red wine. Letty was to his right with a brand new sketch pad and a new pencil. Mr. Bow was sitting next to her, and a seat was saved for Brendan to Mr. O'Brien's left. When Brendan entered, Mr. O'Brien's face lit up. All right, now that we're all here, let me explain what we have for dinner. He began pointing clockwise around the table, beginning with something in front of him. We have East Coast, Maine, lobster, lo mein, paella, sushi, spring rolls, euros, and finally... Good old potatoes and cabbage. If there's anything you'd rather fancy, just ask me, and Mr. Airing will be glad to get it for you. When Brendan looked to the man that Mr. O'Brien had mentioned as Mr. Airing, he shuddered. The man's hands looked rough, like his whole life had been spent working, and his eyes were such a chocolate brown that they were almost black. They had a mystical twinkle in them, but Brendan quickly averted his eyes. He lifted his fork and began to scoop some lo mein onto his plate, but he just couldn't seem to reach the euros that were on Letty's side. Letty, would you please pass the euros? No! Mr. O'Brien yelled so suddenly that it almost made Letty jump. She slowly let go of the plate as Mr. O'Brien grinned mysteriously again. We'll have none of that. Suddenly, all of the dishes started to glide across the table as if on the smoothest conveyor belt in the world. Soon, the euros were in front of Brendan and Mr. O'Brien winked, taking a tiny bite of lobster. Well, Mr. Bow seemed very entertained. That was quite a parlor trick. Thank you. Mr. O'Brien suddenly looked like he had remembered something. Oh, Mr. Bow, your wife is going to be expecting you in Dublin at six o'clock. Without even looking at the clock, Mr. O'Brien had told the exact time. Right as he finished his sentence, all of the grandfather clocks went off in the house, chiming at the same time. Mr. Bow leapt to his feet, suddenly looking very flustered. You're right. Goodbye, children. I'll be back in a week to check on you. Bye, Mr. Bow. Thank you. Letty waved, took a bit of lobster, and looked back to her sketchbook, where she was drawing a beautiful portrait of Miss Mirandy. It looked exactly like her, as all of her drawings had before, exact copies of whoever it was she was sketching that day, and Mr. O'Brien leaned over to watch her sketch. My, my, so I guess it was a brilliant idea for me to go out and get you a new sketch pad then, wasn't it? You're very good. Letty grinned and took a sip of milk from her glass. Thank you so much for everything. The dresses are lovely. Dresses? Brendan slurped up a noodle and looked at Letty. Don't tell me you didn't look in your wardrobe. You'll have to check after dinner. Mr. O'Brien's face had that mysterious look on it again, and Brendan made a mental note to check that later. Letty looked up from her drawing. What did you get from Mr. O'Brien, Brendan? Um, a pocket knife, a new torch, and some adventure books. Brendan tried not to mention the key, but when Mr. O'Brien gave him an odd look, Brendan suspected something. Wasn't there something else? Uh, not that I know of. There should have been a small box tied with a blue ribbon. Was that not there? Brendan hated lying, but he felt that Mr. O'Brien was not someone to be trusted just yet. Nope, I don't know what you're talking about. Hmm. Mr. O'Brien took another sip of wine. So I hate to bring us upon bad news, but Mr. Bow told me I should ask. Your parents haven't been in contact with me for some time, and I simply must know. What happened to them? Letty and Brendan both stopped and looked at each other. Letty saw that Brendan's mouth was practically glued shut, so she told the story. We were at a summer camp, Brendan and I, just last week, and we were coming back. As we pulled up to our house in the bus, we saw the smoke, and the fire trucks, and Mr. Bow. The whole house was burned down. 
The firemen didn't even find the bodies. They said it had been a stove fire, an accident. Brendan and I walked through the ashes, and we saw the most peculiar thing. Mr. O'Brien looked extremely intrigued. Yes? Red soot. We found red soot. How very peculiar. Mr. O'Brien finished off his glass. That's not normal for a fire. Fire is an uncontrollable animal. It blackens and scars everything it touches. Brendan nodded. This kid at school told me it was the remains of my parents. Brendan, I told you to not listen to him. Letty sighed and passed her hand over her face. Mr. O'Brien smiled a comforting smile, trying to make things better. You both should go wash up and get comfortable in bed. He pointed to Letty's drawing and grinned. Miss Mirandy would be quite pleased to see that. Letty nodded and the two stood, heading up to their rooms. Brendan opened his wardrobe and slowly took the clothes out, laying them on the bed. They looked like they had been plucked right out of a fairy tale. Some were made of silk and were very bright colors like enchanter's clothes in a medieval castle. Others were coarse and thick like the clothes that he had always imagined peasants in. Brendan thought it was strange that Mr. O'Brien wouldn't give them normal clothes. Quickly, he hung the clothes back up and took a deep breath, unpacking his old clothes, the clothes that he had during the summer camp. All of his other clothes had been burned. His sheets were warm and comfortable, almost like home. It was strange being in a weird place, and little lights kept flitting by the window, distracting him. It was going to be a long night. That's all for today, you guys. Can't wait to get back to you with Chapter 2 on Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to get any feedback that you guys have about this podcast. And if you're listening, what you find interesting about it. If you find it interesting at all. Things that I could change. Things that I could improve upon. So if you have any comments or questions or anything, don't forget to email me. And I will absolutely get back to you guys. Let you know that I did, in fact, get your inquiry. So thank you so much, you guys. Have a great week. See you guys on hump day.